Good morning. It's that time of year again where we're going to start seeing some common phrases repeated over and over again. And one of those phrases is eat, drink, and what? Be merry. Whether it's leading up to Thanksgiving or Christmas holidays, you'll see it on Christmas cards, on TV commercials and store advertisements. This is a statement that has become common, not only at this time of our year, but just in our uh, culture in general. And that statement is actually one of many statements in our day that actually finds itself rooted in the Bible. Whether it's, um, you don't cast pearl before swine, the idea of not be by the skin of our teeth, or even Good Samaritan. We have a hospital in our area named after that. These are all rooted in stories of the Bible. And today, we're going to interact with one of those statements that has become common in our day. And that statement is the writing on the wall. It's this understanding that you're able to see and project about what's about to take place because there's writing on the wall, there's signs and indicators that it's going to go a certain way. And that statement is found in our passage today of uh, Daniel chapter 5. And today we're going to actually be covering two chapters, Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. And this is the tale of two kings. Now, in the background, what's happening in these and where we're going is when image bearers, whether they're rulers of the world or individuals living in the world, pridefully reject God and his glory, we, and we see our dominions for our own glory, the invitation for us out of our humiliation is to repent and have faith. So image bearers who are rightly called to reflect God, and when we don't, that leads us to humiliation, which is then an invitation for us to either have repentance and faith or pride and destruction. So let's first look at chapter 4. Chapter 4 is the story of Nebuchadnezzar. We've seen him throughout this. He is the king of Babylon at the time. And as he does before, he has a dream. He goes to his own people to try to have them interpret it, but they're not able to. So they go to Daniel to interpret this dream. And this time, Nebuchadnezzar actually tells the dream. And in this dream, there's this really large tree. It's strong and it's visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves are beautiful. Its fruit is abundant, it says in verse 12. Its uh, wild animals find shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches. It, It brings a lot of peace. All creatures are fed by it. Now this is Daniel giving us a little bit of a nudge and, and the, the dream itself is reminding us of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Now, let me remind you, this is the story of God's creation. God created everything, the animals, the trees. Everything has fruit-bearing seeds in them. And the culmination of that is Adam and Eve, God's image bearers. So their job as image bearers was to rightly reflect the character and nature of God in this created order. 
That was their job. And in doing so, they would be tending and keeping the garden, it says in Genesis 2. That's, that's rightly ordering the creation in line with God and his ways. So within Genesis 1 and 2 are the seeds of civilization. You're, this will become societies and towns and cities and cultures and kingdoms. And their job as image bearers was to do all that in line with God and his ways. But we find out very quickly in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve do not continue in that. They rebel against God. They believe a lie about God. And in doing so, they no longer are rightly reflecting God's image to the world. In a way, their mirror now starts to reflect themselves. And it becomes about them and their desire and society's way of glorifying itself rather than glorifying God. And so that's taking that's the background. That's taking place here in Daniel's dream. He's reminding Nebuchadnezzar, and he even says it, that you are the tree. That is you. That is your kingdom. But what does it say before this in verse 17? He says that all this is about to happen, that the tree is about to cut down. You're about to be judged in a way. Because why? Verse 17, this is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. And so this is Daniel saying, and he says this again in verse 25, until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to everyone he wants. And so this is an invitation for him then to repent Verse 27, separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right from, and from your injustices so, um, by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. So what he's saying is, hey, you are going in this way. You have made it about you. Stop that. If you continue to do so, you will become a beast. You will start eating like the cattle and the grass and the dew and your... So your hair will become like eagle's feathers, it comes to say. Unless you repent, humiliation is coming your way. What Daniel is setting up here, and he's focusing primarily of rulers, and this is coupled with chapter 5, in that human rulers of kingdoms in this world that do not acknowledge God, that do not live according to his ways in the common grace he's created the world. When you reject those, you will ultimately become a beast. Now this beast is humiliated. In the coming chapters, the beast is one that has rage and seeks revenge and dominates and domineers. That's the way of rulers and kingdoms that don't acknowledge God and his ways. So Daniel is prophetically speaking not only to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, but to every ruler who has ever lived. And this is God's people as, as we live in exiles. Part of our responsibility is to remind the rulers that God is the most high God. You are not. You may think your nation is the best, but no, God's kingdom is primary. And to prophetically speak and challenge the ways of this world and the kingdom of this world to remind them regularly that we are but just dust, from dust to dust. We're just a, a puff of smoke. 
And God is ultimately eternal, and this is ultimately his. So Daniel is saying that, and then nothing happens. Goes on, a year later, 12 months happen, and verse 30, the king is on the royal palace. He's looking at his, his kingdom, and this is what he says. Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal resident by my vast power and for my majestic glory? What is he doing? He's living out of his sinfulness no longer bearing God's image and reflecting him well, but reflecting himself. And what does it lead to? Humiliation. While he's saying that, the prophecy about him becoming like a beast happens. And for a period of time, he's driven away from the people to live among the wild animals. And so ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar repents he acknowledges God. He honors him and glorifies him, verse 34. And then verse 37, This is it closes the chapter by saying, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens, because all his works are true and his ways are just. He's become an image bearer, remembering that his job is to remind people of God. But he also foreshadows the next chapter. He is able to humble those who walk and pride. He, that happened to him and his humiliation. And he, Nebuchadnezzar went the route of repentance and then he was restored. Now we have the story of Belshazzar. Belshazzar is a predecessor of Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar, uh, this is later on when the kingdom is about to be overthrown by a foreign empire. Babylon's about to be defeated. Um, and so here he is, and he throws this massive party. Thousand people are present. Um, and in his drunken stupor, he goes and does something utterly ridiculous in that day. He goes and he takes the vessels from the um, Jerusalem's temple, God's vessels and will, and he brings them and in a way to mock and ridicule that God, he starts pouring out wine and giving it to all his concubines and wives and those present. And they continue in their drunken stupor as a, and as a sign of humiliating that God. Even for Belshazzar, he knew this was not right. But being drunk, you do things that you know you're not supposed to do. And this is where the famous saying comes. At that moment, what happens Fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the wall, the plaster of the king's palace, the writing on the wall. And so he's now confronted with his own sinfulness. He doesn't know what's happening. He calls people and tries to figure out. He, he starts offering rewards, but they're unable to do anything. But notice what happens to him when he sees his own sinfulness. Verse 6, his face turned pale and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. His bowels loosened up, if you will, is what's happening here in the Greek. His sinfulness led him to another type of humiliation. For Belshazzar, it was becoming a beast. I mean, excuse me, for Nebuchadnezzar, but for Belshazzar, his humiliation was losing his cool in ways that none of us want to 
experience. And so he was trying to find out somebody that will be able to um, interpret this. He ends up bringing Daniel in. He offers him all this money for it. And Daniel says, no, 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 you keep that. Um, And this is what he says. I'm going to string some verses together. Verse 18, Daniel to um, Belshazzar, your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor. Verse 20, but when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was disposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. Verse 22, but you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself, glorified yourself against the Lord of heavens. And verse 23, but you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. He goes on to interpret it, the letters that were there, and and Belshazzar, instead of repenting, instead of recognizing where he is, he then tries to pay off Daniel, gives him all this gold. And that very night, verse 30, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed. He, in his sin that led him to a humiliation, he did not repent and was not restored. He was proud and experienced destruction. Now, this is an indictment in many ways against the rulers of this world. But this isn't just an indictment on them. This is also a warning for all people. Romans 1.21 says, For although they, everyday people, knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal beings. Therefore, verse 24 of Romans 1, God gave them up. God gave them over to their own desires. You see, for all image bearers, we recognize that we are not rightly reflecting God, that there is a parasite within us, a virus that we all have, that we willfully continue in our own ways, that's called sin. And that sin will lead us to humiliation, will lead us ultimately to destruction, unless we notice that those are invitations for repentance and faith. This humiliation does not come in ways as it does for Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. This humiliation, which is an invitation to repentance, can come in many ways for us. And I'm just going to use our what I'll call our base emotions as a way in which we can see this happening in the midst of everyday life. And these base emotions are guilt, fear, and shame. We can see those outworking of our sinfulness regularly. Guilt, you see this in Adam and Eve. What did they do? They start blaming somebody. Somebody has to take the fall for them being wrong. And so our sinfulness, we tend to blame, shift, and and, um, say it's somebody else's fault for what should have been my responsibility. But guilt is actually an invitation not only to blame shift, which which is pride, 
but it's actually an invitation to us to recognize that in the sight of a holy God, we actually are guilty. We are, The wages of sin is death, but God in his grace has justified us before the, the Father. That means that we have been made right with God, that God punished Jesus on the cross and in his death and resurrection, you and I now have right standing and are made righteous and holy in God's sight. So when we feel that guilt, when we know we did something wrong, this is an invitation for us to go to the Father who has justified us because of Jesus. That's the invitation. That's what repentance looks like in that way. But in fear, we see this in Adam and Eve. They were afraid of God. They didn't know what God was going to do when they experienced that first sinful action. So their humiliation led them to be afraid of God. Now for us, this could be fear of God. This could be fear of results. What's going to happen next? Fear of the ending of this political cycle. It could be fear of man, somebody else's opinion about yourself. And so that fear can be humiliating. It could lead us to either pride and just shuffling it up and, and working our way out of our fear, or that fear can be an invitation to repentance, an invitation to recognize that perfect love casts out fear. And in Jesus, God sent him so that we could experience his love in the midst of every moment of every day and that our fear can be done away so that we're not ruled by other people's opinions. We're not ruled by other people's uh, desires for us. We're not afraid of what's going to happen in this world, but because of God's love, we know we are his and he accepts us. Lastly, shame. Our, our guilt our, excuse me, our sin leads us to be shameful in some ways. This is in Adam and Eve. They went and they hid and they covered themselves. This is our reaction, our humiliation around our sinfulness and shame. We want to hide. We don't want to be known. We want to cover up. We want to not be vulnerable. We want, don't want to be known in community. We want to just be individuals. And, and so what that will do is that will lead us to pride and destruction. But what shame, the initial healthy shame is an invitation to, it's to recognize that yes, in my sin, I should be covered. But God in his grace and kindness sent his son on the cross that bore it all. And now because his blood has covered my sin, I am now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I am fully known and fully accepted by God the Father because of Jesus. I have no need to be ashamed. And now I can go and be vulnerable with other people because I know I'm fully accepted by my God who loves me. So we often bump into this. This is our warning. These are invitations. When I'm feeling guilty and I want to blame shift, this is an invitation. No, God, you've justified me. When I'm afraid of other people or of what the, what's happening in the world, no, perfect love casts fear. I repent of that false belief and I go to the true God who loves and accepts me. Or when I'm wanting to hide and cover my sin, I know that I'm clothed in righteousness and I'm invited to be vulnerable with God as the one who fully knows me and accepts me 
but I can also be vulnerable to others. As image bearers, our sin leads to moments of humiliation, which gives us an invitation to either repentance and faith, ultimately in restoration and faithfulness, or to be proud, which ultimately leads to our destruction. So as followers of Jesus, I invite you, if that is you, where are you at work? What is at work in your own heart that humiliation works out? Is it guilt? Is it fear? Is it shame? If you don't yet believe, this is an invitation to you that your path is on the path of destruction, that Jesus in his love died for you in your place for your sins to justify you, to his perfect love casts out fear, and you are fully loved and accepted by him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your love, that you cast out fear, that you justified us before the Father, and that we, can be, we are fully known and accepted. And we as image bearers need to be now empowered by your Spirit, not only to repent of those false beliefs, but we will see these as invitations to go to you as the one who knows, loves, and accepts us. So Father, empower us to believe and live this out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.